At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's time for our journey to begin. You walk through our forests, yet you remain a mystery. What are you? Why do you hide? In the land we call wilderness, there lives a creature that has become one with legend. At the moment, it's about to have an unpleasant encounter with the self-styled masters of the wilderness, man. Welcome to OK Talk. Tonight, we're going to have a uh, totally impromptu and experimental episode that uh, should shock and amaze the masses, because I was able to come into contact with one of the Bigfoot community's most controversial characters. A young man. A young man from Ohio. A young man from Ohio who now makes movies about monsters. Seth Breedlove, one half of the outstanding podcast known as Sass What, but 100% part of small town monsters. Seth Breedlove is a inspiration. He's also an enigma. And it's funny because he's recently become a lightning rod in the community. And again, I use the term community lightly. In so much as a community who eats its young is a community. Seth and I decided to get together this evening at the very last minute and unfortunately the great Matt Stoker my co-host and life partner could not be here tonight but I really want to thank Seth ahead of time I invaded Seth's privacy via the miracle of telephonic communication at an undisclosed Ohio location in Ohio at his house in Ohio Thanks for listening to OK Talk. So without further ado, Seth Breedlove. Are you recording already? I can talk about this. I, I, I am. Um, okay, cool. Anything that you say that you don't want, though, you know. I'll tell you. I don't really care. I, one problem with me is I'm very open about things, which is why Sasolet is under so much hatred right now. But We'll get into that. I, yeah. I definitely want to touch on that. What was I even saying? So you were saying that you, Whitehall's just a short. Okay, so yeah, Whitehall's just a short. Um, we 
went into Whitehall kind of expecting it to be a short. Uh, and originally, I think I said 15 minutes was what I told the guys. I can't, there's some things about Whitehall I can't talk about just because we're not 100% sure how it's going to work out. But there's, you know, distribution things like that we don't really know how we're going to do. But Whitehall is, uh, basically what happened with Whitehall is we set up this trip to Wells, New York, to do this screening in this town that uh, Alan, uh, the producer, Alan McGargle, um, his parents actually live in. So, like, they helped run this library, and they were like, why don't you guys come up here, you know, we'll pay you to come up and do a screening. And then Alan was like, maybe we should do a movie while we're there. And I was like, you know, it's funny, Whitehall is only, like, 90 minutes away, and it's on my list of, like, places I wanted to make a movie about. Mm -hmm. But, um... What happened when I started researching was I found out that, like, all these people are dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did say that in an email, that you, uh, the, the urgency to get that one done. Yeah, um, all these people are dead and gone and dying quickly, and it's like a race against time. So I kind of made that the movie. Like, the movie is, is actually, if it goes the way I'm thinking it's going to go right now, like, we haven't really got into editing it, but it's, I have a rough edit of like the first minute and a half laid out just to try and fool around with the tone and stuff and what i'm actually thinking on this one is i'm actually going to narrate it to help uh push the story forward because the story is going to be like um we were faced with the decision following minerva whether or not we were going to tell the story because it was so difficult to actually do the research since everyone's dying off we located one of the original witnesses, which would be Brian Gosselin. He was one of the police officers that was at Bear Road back in 76. His brother, Paul Gosselin, was in the pickup truck. I don't know how familiar you are. With I, I am, actually. I, I kind of did a little bit of reading up on it, and I thought it was funny that, obviously, the FB show, their yeah. season finale or whatever, was right there. Yeah, yeah, FB. Yeah, we had some. Did I tell you about the behind the scenes thing on that? No, no, but I want to get into that too. <laughs> I'm excited to. Uh, I'm excited to find out all the little intricacies of the quote unquote community and how the how the. Uh, I mean, how this has all just unfolded for you. But so yeah. you were in Whitehall. and you're like, we better shoot this movie because everybody else is dead and these people are old. This is yeah. It, it was like it was like a race against time, literally. And then what happened is we got a phone call the two days before we were leaving from a uh, a witness who has never talked about being at A Bear before, but supposedly he was actually at A Bear Road. He's an unknown quantity in this entire thing. Really? Like he yeah. was one of the original kids? He supposedly. I can't give. I can, there's things about this I can't give away. Okay, was, that's fine. Let's just say he's not on the record as having been there that night, but he is claiming he was there that night. His version of the story takes place a couple minutes after the first pickup truck leaves the scene, um, and some of his story checks out. But the problem is, is the other person that was there with him is someone who is also connected to the story, and I am unfortunately unable to get these people to contact me to corroborate this guy's story. So we're like, I, I'm faced with this decision where I don't want to lie, or not lie, but you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to stick uh, information in there that might be false, but at the same time, it's there's no way for me to corroborate this guy's story, and if I leave it out, 
it's a really fascinating piece of information if it's true. So I'm almost leaning towards doing this thing where I'm going to be like, you know, put some sort of, I don't know, disclaimer in the movie. Yeah, totally. Um, well, I mean, weren't you faced with that kind of something about the Minerva case? You you left a lot out of that. Yeah, the the lady thinking her mom was connected to it, and and then if that's what you mean, and yeah, I think also, I, I know uh, you had discussed a few different aspects of it. That yeah, the most similar thing in in Minerva to me, anyway, is Howie Caton's story about jumping on the creature and like wrestling it because he claims that they called the police and all this stuff, but I can't find anything to back that up. I can't find any police report or photos or anything that would back up the fact that Howie Caton wrestled with a Bigfoot. <laughs> Which so, is unfortunate. Really, really unfortunate. But that's about the closest thing that would be in Minerva to this. I mean, this is an entire witness who no one has ever spoken to. And when I say no one, I mean like Lauren Coleman, who did all this research on the Hebert stuff, never talked to him. Paul Bartholomew had no idea this guy existed. Um, and things like that actually raised some red flags because it's like, okay, is this guy lying to me just to, you know, what's the deal here? You're you're very, I'm super paranoid anymore. Yeah, so you have to be. Of these. I yeah. mean, <laughs> who's just trying to get on TV? Even when it looks like somebody doesn't have anything to benefit, mm-hmm. you know, you don't know what somebody's little tiny world, you know, their success and life may be hinged upon being at some art house theater in your movie. Uh, totally. And that's part of what I find so fascinating about the whole subject, too, are like the people that lie. I think those people are as interesting to me as, as the people that are, you know, seeing something in the woods that they find unexplainable. I don't know. I'm weird, though. So, yeah, my, my, my approach to the entire field over the last year has just completely changed. I just I find myself almost more skeptical by the day, uh, which is unfortunate, but things like the A-Bear sighting keep me keep me going there. Like the A-Bear stuff is really really cool. Let me back up here. Let's let's just roll this into the way that I kind of was planning. Yeah. What about Okay, so you're born and raised Ohio, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was born and raised in a uh, tiny town in, in Ohio called Bolivar, which is like this pinprick on the map uh, right off Route 77. Route 77. Uh, it's this, uh, it's, it's a route that runs like north to south on the East Coast. So Okay, so that's, that's eastern Ohio then? Yep. So yep. how far are you from Cuyahoga or? Okay, uh, where I live now, which is Wadsworth, I'm... 20 minutes from Cuyahoga. I, I go in Cuyahoga Valley National Park almost every week. I try to get in there and hike. It is. That's amazing. I actually made it up there in 2010 <laughs> and uh, had a really fun experience there. We went to see fish in Chicago, and then the tour went from Chicago down to Blossom in Cuyahoga. And so, you know, there's just hordes of fish fans that are driving overnight from Chicago down that, you know, whatever that is, that uh, turnpike up there, up, up north. Before it turns south. Yeah. And 281 or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, every stop, there's, you know, like a gas station and four restaurants or whatever. So every stop was just overloaded with people that were on the road traveling, some of them hippies, some of them just uh, enjoying the ride. But it was kind of funny because we, you know, Fish shows up and they come out on stage and they play Lookout Cleveland, the old band song. 
familiar with that one? No. It's like, look out, Cleveland, there's a storm coming through, and it's coming right down on you. It was brilliant. I mean, I was around a bunch of people from the area that were just bouncing off the walls. But after the show, one of the big things about Fish is they, like the fans, try to kind of make the experience as insane as possible. So we're in this national forest and we're walking out to the car and some dudes start shooting off fireworks, like professional fireworks, right, in the parking lot. And uh, we're turned to look at the fireworks and everybody's, you know, and they're boom, boom. And I actually felt it before I turned and saw it, but I heard this, the thump, the thump, the thump. And I turned to my right, very patty-like, without turning my neck, but turned like my torso. And there is a, a, a female, a doe, barreling out of the woods. She's obviously, there's no guns allowed in that national forest, I'm imagining. You know, they've never heard loud noises. And the fireworks had spooked this deer. And it came at me like the Matrix, man. I, I my life slowed down as I moved it ran past me and then I turned and watched it just split a crowd wow. through, through a sold out parking lot it was pretty amazing but that is that is awesome one of the coolest national park story I've heard and I've you know I've listened to interviews with David Pilates <laughs> Yeah, and then a baby disappeared. But no, it's a what a what a killer place. So uh, I, I, beautiful. Got a chance to do a little hiking, little bike ride. Um, really cool. Spent some time. We actually watched uh, soccer at the Winking Lizard. Are you familiar with that? Little... Oh heck yeah, man! They have they have amazing wings. Yeah, we uh, we watched the. So this was. 2010. So you went. You went to the winking. That's the original winking lizard. If you went to the one that's in in the park, that's the one in Peninsula. That's like that's the OG winking lizard. Yeah, I OG'd it, man. We watched the men's national team. I think they played England in the World Cup that day because that was 2010. It was a. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Good times and what a killer area. And we've talked um, over and over again about how we want to get up there when we'll have a little bit more time. But well. It's funny, uh, the, just just to tie it back into Minerva, the the meeting I had with Alan and Jesse that kind of saw the birth of Minerva Monster was at Fisher's uh, Restaurant Pub, which is right across the street from that winking lizard. It is indeed. It is yeah. indeed. Oh, that's that cool. Is, that is where we had our first meeting where we were like, let's make a movie. I was really, I was really impressed with that little town. That was a... Uh... I, I, I would use the term hamlet for that little area. It's perfect. They just had a uh, peninsula python festival or something like that. There's this like they have their own monster. It's uh, back in the 30s or something, supposedly a giant python, like 18 feet long, supposedly got loose. And now it lives there. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, that would be one of the reasons that babies would be disappearing in that national forest, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, did you go to did you go to school? Did you go to um, further school? Oh, let's let's talk about school. Yeah, I went to uh, I went to college for one day. I went to uh, Kent Kent State, um, and uh, I was going for journalism. And uh, in my uh, basically, I sat through all the classes. Like, well, this is ridiculous. Like, I could teach myself pretty much everything. And then uh, during the final class which was creative writing of some sort. Uh, the lady, after she went through her 
I drive or whatever, she wanted us to write a 300-word essay on uh, what we had learned in class that day. And I wrote a 300-word essay entitled, 300 Words on Why I Could Teach Your Class Better Than You. <laughs> and then I gave her the essay, and I walked out of college, and I never went back. And I was, I think I was in the right, like, I think in retrospect that I did the right thing. I didn't get up to my neck in, like, student loan debt, and I ended up writing for newspapers anyway. And uh, I also discovered that people that write for newspapers don't make any money. So Yeah, yeah. Now see, now, see, you and I did the exact same thing. I was in journalism class for about a day and I was already doing radio. And I realized that I was like, you know, it was like learning to play video games. And then this person brought out, you know, how to turn on the controller um, as the yeah. as the intro class. And I quickly figured that I didn't need a journalism degree to do journalism. But uh, I did decide to go ahead and rack up college debt, which is which is awesome. And you're really missing out if you don't have people oh, beating man. down your door on that. I might, I might have to give it another shot. I don't know. I don't have a pro like. I think it's it, it would have been awesome if I had something at that point in my life that I was really um, like. In retrospect, I wish I could have gone to film school. I would have really enjoyed learning filmmaking. But as far as writing, I think. And I, I know a lot of people would argue with me or whatever, but I think uh, any sort of schooling for writing is pointless. Absolutely pointless. Yeah, I think the best I, schooling is the library. <laughs> yep, you, you just know? reading and writing. That's your there's your school. Like if you want to learn, just read and write. Which, speaking of um, <laughs> reading and writing, one amazing thing about that I'm learning from listening to a lot of podcasts these days <laughs> is that people mispronounce words. I mispronounce everything. I cannot, I'm, I'm not even going to say anything about this. I get emails and stuff about all the stuff I mispronounce. For real? Yeah, for real. And then, like, my vocabulary is lacking, so I hear about that a lot, too. Oh, my gosh. Okay, wait. Before we, before we get into what it feels like to be a successful podcaster, so you're writing for a local newspaper? I'm not right now. No, I mean, you get out of okay. school, you're, or, you know, you're one day of class, you're like, chalk this i'm gonna write for a newspaper what when did you decide let's turn on a microphone and talk yeah uh, you want to like i can give you the the, the behind the scenes seth Rebo story that i've never talked about on the air before i mean this, it's this is a scoop a scoop ladies a, and gentlemen so i got out of i left school that day and i was um was i married at the time or not i can't remember uh i, I anyway shortly after this i got married and then i quickly got divorced um, and when I got divorced, I went through this, like, I mean, I was only 25, but it was like a midlife, midlife crisis. Like from what I've heard, that's what it's comparable to. So I was working at FedEx at the time. I've had hundreds of jobs. I mean, it seems like hundreds of jobs. I've right. done like, I've done landscaping and home repossession. And I've literally like gone into homes with sheriffs, you know, armed to the teeth and kicked people out of their homes and stuff like that. Um, that's anyway. rewarding. Yeah. Oh yeah. What a blessing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, no, I, I basically, I had this job at FedEx. My, my, you know, my marriage was kind of crumbling and all this stuff. And so like I went to, 
the local newspaper and just handed the editor a bunch of writing. He asked for writing samples. I gave him like four different things I had written. I think one of them was like an article about news, uh, airline etiquette, like how to, how to fly basically. And it was supposed to be comedic. And I gave him two others and I can't remember what they were, but he looked at my stuff and he's like, have you, you know, so where have you written before? I was like, nowhere. He's like, well, you know, we want you to sign a freelance contract. So I signed the freelance contract. And then within my first, uh, week of being there, I had my own front page column, which is weird. Like a front, it was called Slice of Life, and it ran on the front page of the Maslin Independent, and it was about local business, like small business. And um, from that, um, that would have been 2008, which was the same year I started podcasting. So basically, I started podcasting by talking with my friend Paul, who lives in Kentucky, about comic books. And uh, that bloomed into uh, a podcast called Ancillary Characters, which we just ended right. recently. So, but that was super successful, right? I mean, no, 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 no. Ancillary Characters is tiny. Like, was it really? Oh yeah, like, I think when we wrapped the show for its entire lifespan, which was like four and a half years, we had had twenty thousand total downloads. Wow. I mean, it was, it was, we were essentially recording the show for ourselves, but we had like some dedicated listeners, you know, who listened to it and stuff, but it was not, I don't think it was super successful. It was very small. I don't know. I just assumed, um, I just assumed the nerd community would have backed you up on that, you know? Well, the nerd, see, like, it's easy to put out a successful Bigfoot podcast because there's not many out there. And if you can at least get your sound quality good, you're already putting yourself out, you know, ahead of the pack. But in the comics community, there are hundreds of comics podcasts. and oh, Some okay. of them are, are really freaking good. So, Okay, I got you. Competition stiff. So why Monsters? What, what got you into... Uh turning on the microphone one day and being like, what's the deal with Bigfoot? Uh, I don't know. I talked about it in the first two episodes, like why I was doing the show. Because um, that's what has really changed kind of since those first few episodes. Because I brought on Mark on, I, I don't know, three or episode three or four or something like that. But the the initial idea behind it was to try and figure out the entire phenomenon while talking about it into a microphone. Um and I don't, there's no real reason. I just, I've, I find the entire subject very intriguing, whether it's um, the personalities involved or the community stuff or the actual sightings or, you know, what, what this creature would be like if it exists and what, what its habitat would be and that kind of stuff. Um, I find all aspects of it very intriguing. What's the... Um... What's the first memory that you have of the Sasquatch? Um, honestly, it's um, my good friend Don, uh, Don Marchand. He was a guy that used to, he taught me anything that I know about sound. I actually owe to Don because Don ran the sound booth at my church. And um, at some point, Don was like, hey, can you help me run the sound booth? So I was like, sure. And then one Sunday while we were sitting back in the sound booth, he handed me a DVD with uh, some sort of documentary about Bigfoot on it. And that 
I mean, I'm sure there was something before that because I was aware of Bigfoot, and this wasn't even that long. I mean, this was 2001 when he handed me that DVD. 2000, actually, no, it would have been 2003 when he gave me that DVD. Um, so I know there was memories before that, but the first thing I really remember that that made me want to look into the subject was 2003, Don Marshan handing me this DVD of uh, some random Bigfoot documentary. And you don't remember which one it was, though? I, I always think it's Monster Quest, but it can't be Monster Quest because the timing's not right. Um, I think it might have been something that ran on Discovery Channel, but I because I, I swear I remember the little Discovery logo in the corner, hmm. but I don't know which one it would have been. I just remember Patty has always fascinated me, um, and sh- and this documentary he gave me kind of focused around the Patty film. I do remember that. Um, but it's not the Bill Munns one because that timing doesn't work out either. So I don't know, I don't know what this was, but it had some sort of focus on Patty, and I just thought that the 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 Patterson film, you know, the first time you see it, it's like it's a dude in a suit. Like that's my gut reaction when I see when I saw that the first time. I was like, give me a break, like seriously. And then you kind of hear the reasons why it's it's you know, not a guy in a suit possibly. And then you start really looking at the suit, if it's a suit and trying to figure out how did they make this? And then it's like, okay, well, wait, this was the 1960s. And it's all the things that typically get people, you know, interested in the Patterson film. Um, Yeah, it was definitely, I mean, I can trace it back to Don Marchand giving me a DVD that somehow involved the Patterson film. Okay. So, so it wasn't um, wasn't Secrets of the Unknown that you watched, was it? I have no idea. With uh, Edward Mulhair, are you familiar I mean, of that, with that guy, the dude from Knight Rider? No, but I mean the fact that his name is Mulhair makes me want to watch him, like right now. It's seriously, and it's listed on YouTube as uh, <laughs> um, Secrets and Mysteries. But the actual, I think that may just be to dodge getting it taken down. Okay. But uh, it was like a late 80s, kind of a one-off on that Nimoy show. And he did, you know, one on Loch Ness. And I think there's one on Aliens. And Okay. Um, so it was like the In Search of... Yeah, no. yeah. And it is spectacular. It's not the one where the guy's like playing the drums in the woods. No, 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 no. It's older than that. Um, and the funny thing is, uh, John Green is actually in it. And like okay. down on the left, it says, you know, Sasquatch witness or whatever. And obviously he Green never saw never one. Saw one. Um, right. But the graphics are amazing. Wow. The narration, Mulhair, is spectacular. He's the, uh, you would, you'd recognize him if you saw him. He's an older guy, white hair. And he just always looks like he's looking down his nose at you with one eyebrow cocked high. And the people that, um, like Furman Osborne is one of the people that's in there talking, but he's like 90 when he's doing it. So it's very much um, (laughs) the, the witness encounter stories are... It's spectacular. Yeah. And actually, the uh, it's time for the journey to begin um, that we use at the beginning of our podcast. That's that's how every show opened. And he was like looking into some computer that saw into the future or down into the down into the wilderness. Oh, 
it's great. Um, I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look and see if that's the one because I've tried to figure out which one it is. But there is one where they kind of go into. Actually, it might be. It might be the uh, Sasquatch, uh, the the documentary that's like based off of uh, Meldrum, Meldrum's book. Oh, which one? <laughs> Isn't that guy in every documentary? Well, yeah, but there's one. There's a there's an actual Meldrum documentary like that was made based on his book, but I can't remember what his book is called. It's called something. Yeah. Anyway. It's called kind something. Sidetracked here, but but no. it was it, that's what it was. Like it was that <clears throat> it was Don Marchand giving me that you know that documentary on that, and then that also whatever he gave me that DVD also had something about UFOs, and it had a documentary on lake monsters. So like all those things were rolled into one package, and now I'm into all of them. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. So before we before we touch back on monsters. Um, I was listening to your latest, your latest piece about Bigfoot versus cryptids, and that's when I heard you mention some of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Where do you come down on the uh, ancient alien theory? Oh yeah, well, see, I'm a Christian, so for me, it's it's like a non-issue. I just don't, I don't believe it. <laughs> like, like I believe the Bible, so I'm super. Uh, I'm super non-interested in... Well, that's not actually true. I find the, the story side of the ancient aliens thing really cool. Like, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Jack Kirby, uh, the Marvel comics artist, but he used to do a story called... or a book called The Eternals. And he also did a book called The Celestials. And seriously, like, that dude was doing ancient aliens before ancient aliens was a thing. Like, Really? Is this, uh, like, pre... Pre nineteen seventy something. This would have been nineteen late nineteen sixties, and then he got real crazy in the seventies. Like he got super out there. It's awesome stuff. Yeah. See, I didn't. Um, I wasn't familiar with Chariot of the Gods, and in fact, I saw it recently, and I was like, "Holy crap, that's really old." And then yeah. I actually watched it on Netflix. I think at some point recently. Yeah, it's on there. I, I'm familiar with all that stuff. It's just like for me. Um, I just I've seen enough debunking of it, and I'm confident enough in my belief in the Bible. Good grief, people are going to be just so turned off by me after this. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, you, you, you. I think you make it pretty clear where you stand with that. I went to a Christian college, did a lot of ancient Greek stuff, but I think a lot of like the foundations of the Old Testament and stuff that seem to like cross over with every other you know faith or belief. Mm-hmm system is really fascinating like the like everybody has a concept of the flood you know sure yeah definitely and i think that's pretty rad and i think the uh well i mean you know there's so much weird stuff in the old testament i mean right like uh, the ezekiel's wheel and all that stuff yeah people you know just rising up into the heavens and fiery chariots coming out of the sky so it's a really fascinating topic and it's really exploded and i love giorgio's hair that dude on that show oh my gosh that guy that guy needs something. I don't know what he needs. Like, I can't tell if I like it or, or don't. Have you seen the new... He's doing, like, his own In Search Of show. It's like In Search Of Aliens. Right. He um And he went He went and uh, looked for Bigfoot, too. Right, right. He went and hung out with Meldrum and all those guys. I mean, not that that's shocking, but um, his hair on that show, it seems like it's been dialed back a little bit. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's the travel. Like, I think uh, the perm, as you travel... 
gradually like, will sit down on your head, you know? Could be like the humidity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I imagine them when, when they have him sitting there in front of the camera explaining his theories and his hair looks the best. I imagine there being a fan like right between his legs blowing up into his face. They gel it up really good. They turn Gosh. the fan on high and then they shut it off and I roll hope tape. So. I hope so. Like, someone needs to be, if that's the case, I want to see it happen. It sounds magical. <laughs> I know. I'd love to see some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on that. But hearing you talk today about, um, you know, your fascination with some of the other cryptid stuff is really, I um, wanted to ask you what you thought. Cause... Well, yeah. I mean, Small Town Monsters is going to go there. I just, it's it's because of the way these stories are coming at us. We've been kind of relegated to Bigfoot right now because it's been like, we did Minerva, and then we automatically had the Whitehall thing pop up, and now we have our next one pop up, and it's, I can't even say anything about it. I, I'm, no, you're cool. But um, after that, I, I definitely want to hit some of the lesser known, you know, more out there kind of monster stories. And, and honestly, if Whitehall pans out the way I think it's going to, and people receive it well, and they like that short format, what I ultimately want to do is put out one feature a year and one short. So you get like a feature and then you get a short. And that's all that's predicated on whether or not we end up with some sort of, you know, TV deal or end up on TV in a way that would preserve what we're trying to do. Right. Without it getting to Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. Just wait. I, I tell a story on the next episode of Sasselet about uh, Megan Fox you're going to love. Oh, yeah. It revolves around... Uh, me being pitched the pilot episode of Small Town Monsters as being uh, Scooby-Doo with Megan Fox running around with us looking for Bigfoot. So wow, wow! How yeah. did your uh, how did your current woman feel about that? Well, I don't think she ever cared because it was never going to happen. <laughs> I, I, I about walked away as soon as it was brought up. So Scooby-Doo with Megan Fox with as Megan the do. Wow. Well, okay. So you kind of get into Bigfoot. You start the Sasquatch podcast to try to figure out what the heck's going on with it. At what point did, what was the first time that you realized, man, I made a podcast about Bigfoot and now the Bigfoot community knows who I am? Well, I don't think they did. I don't even know how many of them do now. Um, Oh, come on. Come on. No, man. I'm serious. Like, I I really hope, and I, I think this is true just from kind of what I'm, I've gleaned from being out in the community, There there's kind of a general acknowledgement that we exist. I don't think a lot of the, the you know, the typical Bigfooters listen to our show. I think who's listening to our show are people who are either just getting into the subject or who have, like, some sort of modest interest in it but don't want to go full bore yeah and it's just I, kind of I, fascinated by the topic but right and and that's good because like that's kind of how well i mean when i started out doing the show that's kind of how i was i mean i i wanted something that was welcoming to people that wasn't a two-hour blog talk show you know with call call people calling in and <laughs> and we don't even do many interviews on our show so we're we're very abnormal from your typical 
Bigfoot podcast, but what's it like to be, if, if I am a name, it's, it's been more recent that we've gotten some, some more notice within the community. And I don't think it's been overtly positive. <laughs> like we have a lot of listeners who love the show, but we get, you know, typically the negative people are the, the loudest. Oh yeah. And, always. And, and everything and everything, right. the troll right. is the loudest under that bridge. So you had a, you recently had an episode explode because uh, you paid someone off at a Stitcher to feature your episode, right? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, it was the weirdest thing. I I had got an email maybe a month or two ago, probably two months ago, asking me if it was okay if we were featured in something Stitcher called like the Adventurers Club or something. I honestly don't even know because I never actually saw it on Stitcher. Um, they asked if they could feature us as part of the series they were doing that was sponsored by Toyota, and there would be some sort of like Toyota plug at the beginning of the episode for 15 seconds or something. And I was like, whatever. You know, I never thought I never thought about it again. Then I was on the drive back from Whitehall, and I checked. I just decided to check the stats for Sasquatch, and in one day it was like I, it was abnormally high for me. For for Sasswa, I know there's podcasts out there that get you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of downloads. We're not that kind of podcast, um, but this was an obscene number of downloads for us. And uh, yeah, yeah, we're that, talking like you're 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 over eighty thousand on that thing, right? Yeah, it's over eighty thousand on that one episode now. So I mean, in one day we had sixty some thousand downloads on Jeez. it, just from being on the front page or in some club, huh? I mean, I guess that's what it was. I, I don't know what else it would have been because it was that episode. It was that particular episode that they wanted to highlight. So I guess just having that on the front page of Stitcher, either that or someone's just sitting there clicking download, like Brian Brown sitting in his house in Minnesota just clicking download over and over. So is he the moneyed interest behind this thing? How did you get to know Brian? Uh, Brian, I – geez, how did I get – that's a great question. Um I feel like Brian was I on I think Brian had come on Sasswat. Jeez, dude, I can't even remember. I either I was on Bigfoot show or he was on Sasswat and then we started talking pretty regularly, you know, through Facebook Messenger and then um uh texting and, and like he called me the night he had his sighting down at Area X last summer. He actually called me on the drive back from that trip to tell me about it. Are you serious? Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. So, I mean, for me, like, for people that are not podcasters, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense. But, like, Brian is one of my role models. Yeah, he's... I, look, I've <laughs> I've been doing this for 20 years, and that's not a brag, and I'm still considering myself a young guy. I just got in really, really early. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, got, I've been really lucky. I'm in a, I'm in a really large market, and I work with really big radio talent and i think brian is tremendous in fact um uh, the episode that we put out last week where matt and i are just vaguely shooting the breeze about bigfoot and i'm kind of was telling him like dude you gotta like you gotta listen to this area x stuff and then let's talk about it i almost got obsessive about brian because i was like uh, here's a radio guy or to me you know i listen to it and it just 
I know it's a podcast, but I hear radio. You know, if you do a awesome sounding podcast, I just assume it's radio. And and here's this guy that he he's got a great voice. His whole you know his whole delivery is perfect. And then um I I almost consumed the Bigfoot show in like a month, maybe like yeah, a me, month and a half. Me too, absolutely. I did the entire. I went through the entire series, and and then I went back through it. I went, yeah, yeah. I went backwards, back back to front, and then I went front to back. Um, because I used to work like a, you know, an eight hour a day cubicle job. So all I did was listen to podcasts. Uh, and, and that show was so refreshing from, from all the other Bigfoot stuff. Cause it was funny. Like that's the big, yeah. You know, what's crazy stuff. is I had never, I had never listened to any podcast really. I, I mean, unfortunately, since I'm around it all the time, you know, if I'm generally away from the place, I listen to music or whatever, just cause. But uh, I was at another gig doing work for someone, doing a little bit of research about podcasts. And I started like, you know, just kind of looking around and I stumbled upon it out of nowhere. And I mean, I just uh, I went nuts with it. Like I seriously, I got obsessive over it because it was so good, because when you listen to it, it's like if you're watching Game of Thrones or some TV show and you binge watch it, you know, you're almost in a lot of ways like way more familiar with the details and the storyline than the people who have been following it all along, you know, taking it one week at a time. You oh, can yeah. remember that how, you know, two weeks ago when I was watching season one, this happened and then this happened and this. And so you totally. see like Brian's progression. And I really do think, you know, he's kind of the he's kind of the story there because he really does seem to go from Meh, something's going on, but I don't know, to dude i saw i saw bigfoot in oklahoma right to i'm done with this because i'm gonna go prove to people that there's bigfoot in oklahoma right and uh it's uh it was incredible but i kind of that's how you know i stumbled across your podcast and i'm an audiophile so all that stuff that doesn't sound good i just can't i can't do it i can't do it see i can i can do i i mean i've listened to that stuff for so long that i can deal with it some of them are unlistenable I, honestly the way things are anymore there's no excuse for podcasts to sound like garbage and i think that comes down to blog talk too like uh, so many people fall into that blog talk trap the only thing though and i wrote about the like i think i blogged about this not too long ago the best thing about blog talk and i totally get why all these people go the blog talk route it's because it's got a built-in audience like if you're on blog talk there's you know what like two million people on blog talk every night of the week so those people People are probably going to tune in. So uh, that's why Southwood has had an uphill battle against a lot of Bigfoot podcasts in terms of gaining our own audience because we don't have that built-in audience. We are picking up the people who aren't listening to those blog talk shows. It's all it's all grassroots. I mean, and we just uh, there's an episode of Southwood coming out called The Business of Bigfoot or something like that. It's going to be out in the next week. And it's just talking about money and where money is being made in Bigfoot and all that. And for some reason, some of these Bigfoot people or just people in general don't have a clue how podcasting works and think that somehow because we have a podcast, we're making like boatloads of money off of it. But it's not the, like we're actually losing money. Right. <laughs> like, like to talk about this every week, we're losing money. So I don't know. It's it's. It's worth it to build an audience. It's fun for, for Mark and I to talk every week about it, and um, I think that's why we do it. You do it out of love for you know your friends and, and the subject in general. Right. Oh, so you became buds with Brian. When when did you officially join the NAWAC? 
Um, last fall, so it's coming up on a year. I think it was like late October. Um, the the uh, I had been hounding him for like months to get me in, and he had tried, but it was like an ongoing process of getting in because they're very picky about who gets into that group. Yeah, it seems like um, it. Yeah, and and uh, I wanted to be involved with the NAWAC because, in I mean, from what I've seen, they're the most level-headed group out there. They're very, um, I don't know. It's just, it's not all hyper, hyperbole with them. Like, it's not, it's not insanity. Like, you listen to those Area X episodes, and you're like, this almost sounds unbelievable. And then you join the group, and it's like, oh, crap, there's actually more stuff going on than they're even talking about out there. Like, there's actually more going on behind the scenes than people are anywhere near aware of. So, um, I don't know if you read the Watchtaw Project monograph, but I have. Uh, okay, it it really details a lot of what's gone on in there, and I still get the impression there's even more that you know maybe hasn't been talked about. And, and I mean, what what drew me to the NAWAC are the a lot of the personalities that are involved um, in that. The, while they are kind of larger than life, like Daryl Collier to me is like a larger than life kind of John Wayne type. Um, you got Bob Strain, and he's just like I don't even know who to compare that guy to. The, the Kathy Strain is like a, a genius. Uh, she's one of my role models, and Alton Higgins, who I've never. It's funny with Alton because like he intimidates the heck out of me. I I would love to have him on an episode of Sasquatch, but he intimidates me so bad. I think that if I tried to interview him, my voice would just like shake. Really? Uh, yeah, because the guy's like he's extremely intelligent. Like, and I'm a low IQ kind of guy. I'm the kind of guy that drops out of college on their first day. Man, come uh, on, that didn't have anything to do with the IQ. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> Get out of here with that. But that's interesting that you say that because there's clearly like a reverence for him. You know, Kathy uh, told us that, you know, she considered him a mentor mm -hmm. and you can certainly hear Brian's reverence for him, too. I get the same feeling like when I when I talked to Kathy, I, I you know, had the same feeling of like the larger than life personality. And I totally agree with you. They're the most sensible group yeah to me it's it's, it's difficult because like i have friends in in other groups i mean i'm friends with people that are in the bfro i love some of those people you know there there's there are some lesser known bigfooters out there who i think are awesome like jim sherman out of michigan is like one of the coolest guys i've ever met and no one knows about that guy i mean he put out his own book this year he's doing a lot of work and he's he's a really intelligent level-headed kind of dude um but yeah as far as like groups that are doing ongoing research and seem to actually be getting somewhere with it um, while maintaining such a low profile, which I don't know that they're purposefully doing that, but they just do not get any kind of attention in the Bigfoot world. Um, the NAWAC is, yeah, I'll put my money behind them any day. Yeah, I'm really fascinated to find out what's going on. We all are. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just ask you this, because I thought this was fascinating and the way that Daryl reacted to you talking about being a skeptic on that mm -hmm. episode. Mm -hmm. You really do you really feel like you're getting more? You said earlier, more skeptical as the day goes on. It, it feels that way. You know, I I think the problem is I go out, you know, I go camp. We go camping, my wife and I, and we hike a lot. 
everything that has ever happened to me, there there is nothing that has ever happened to me where I have no explanation for it, where I can't come up with an explanation. I've never had a sighting of my own. Um, and I have so many questions about why or how an undiscovered creature could be roaming around North America, you know, that's eight feet tall for hundreds of years without some definitive proof of it coming out. Um, I, I do feel like I'm becoming more skeptical and it, it is though, like I said, it is, it is stories like the A-Bear story and then the work that the NAWAC does um, and the stories that come out of X that keep me thinking, well, maybe there's something to it. I'm not totally like I've seen people post on online now because this is becoming the thing is like, oh, this guy doesn't even care or doesn't even believe in Bigfoot. He's just in it for the money. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm in it. I'm in the podcasting world for the money, but Rolling. no, it's yeah, it's uh it's it's not that I'm closed off or closed minded. I'm totally open to it. I think that should be pretty obvious, you know, like I'm I'm completely open to the fact or to the possibility that these things, you know, could be out there. It's just that when I got into this, when I got into Bigfooting and when I started doing Sasquatch, it was to try to figure things out for myself and make up my own mind about, you know, where I stood on things. And even even things like joining the NAWAC are part of that. Um, the the thing about being in the NAWAC is you got to be serious about what their mission is. I mean, they, they're in it for a very specific reason. You know, they want to prove it, and I want it to be proven if it's true. So that's why I'm, I'm involved. But I do, I do feel like, especially here lately, I feel very very uh, skeptical. I wish I could get in X. I feel like if I could get into Area X, um, I would probably, you know, come down on the other side. Is the waiting list that long? Or is that just really a time and money thing with you? I don't actually think I'm allowed to talk about it. I, I, okay. I, think, I think more than anything, it's a time and money thing from my, from my perspective, but I'm not, I'm not actually yeah. sure if I'm even allowed to say. I mean, they're that's one of the cool things about them. They're so serious about stuff. We're we're all under NDAs. We're not allowed to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, I have an application in my email that Michael Mays sent me, and awesome. um, that dude is freaking awesome. I, I think so too. I think I whipped his ass about trying to talk to Brian so much that he he gave me the hand. But I think I just got the hand because he's like, "Hey, I sent you the I sent you the paperwork. Fill the paperwork <laughs> out. Pay the due, and then." We'll go from there, you know, yeah. and I totally yeah. I totally understand it. Again, that's something that makes it seem more serious, because when all of this came to my light, I was thinking, holy crap, man, people should be paying attention to what's going on if, yeah. if all of these people are to be believed. Right. And the only other thing that I can think of that's happening there is if in some way, shape or form, it was an inside job. Right. That's that's the only thing that I can think of. I don't think they're all lying, so I think it's either somebody inside is pulling a bit or it's real. Or I also started thinking, wouldn't it be funny if like these were like escaped chimps or whatever, primates that have been smuggled into the country, and they're really not like a new species, but what if they were chimps, which are surprisingly large when you see them in person, you know, and what if that's what's going on? But obviously, if they're all to be believed, that's not the case. in this old gray that they talk about is supposed to be ridiculously huge. And- Which I am so fascinated by the white Bigfoot thing. 
Yeah, me too. We have the uh, Lake Worth monster here in Texas, or we had the Lake Worth monster, which was reported as a white Bigfoot. And I remember the first time that I saw the reported photo of that thing and then the whole just description of it and thought, that is, that's insane. Why would that be the case? And then um, the more that you hear people talk about sightings where there's like a gray or a white one and it seems like it's kind of the dominant like they always refer to it as like it's clearly it's the one that's in charge i think i may have even emailed you this i wonder if with all these one-offs and small town monsters is it a situation where um these are like the former dominant male of a group let's let's just assume that they're primates and finally the young up-and-comer beats down the old man and he gets kicked out now, if that's the case, and that happens with like a lion and a pride, you know, those are the ones that you want to look out for because they're uh, they're older. They, you know, they're going to gravitate towards where humans are for an easy, you know, an easy meal. And it seems like with so many of these random small town uh, one 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 time encounters or you know crazy encounter, if it's a white one, I wonder if that's what's going on. Like I can logically get there, and I don't know if that's nuts or not but no it's not like you're you're the way you think and piece together things like that is the way mark maskey does see i'm i don't i for some reason my brain does not function that way like i can't think i'm too busy thinking like do they even exist to even get to maybe this is part of that behavior but i love like i like the idea there though so you're thinking like the fact that they would even be all white is like an age thing though yeah, I got a chance to talk to Will Jevning uh, for a long time, and that guy's awesome. One of the things that he had said was, you know, a lot of times it seems like those are the dominants. I may have asked him the exact same thing, and his theory was that, or thinking there is that not only is it an age thing, but, you know, gorillas like silverbacks, when they reach their peak, they get that silver back, and that there are some quote-unquote silverback gorillas that never get a silverback even though they're big and huge it's almost like nature's way of telling the females that this guy's the one that's got the best genes this is the one that can protect you the most it seems like that white one or the gray one always is either the biggest one in a group or it's you know all by itself Right. And the concept of a Bigfoot getting kicked out of a group, what would he do? I would think he would go into town and cause panic. Yeah. You know, like that's the yeah. only time that I can imagine where they would be godless killing machines or sure. at least, you know, nosy enough to, you know, be poking around people's places. Yeah. I mean, it, the I don't go in for like the the Bigfoot as savage killer thing, but no, I know you <laughs> Yeah. In a situation like that, I mean, it does make sense. Like in nature, there are, you know, grizzlies that go rampage around and kill people. I mean, it, that, that kind of stuff does happen. Yeah. I'm not completely, I'm not completely closed off to, you know, Bigfoot's kidnapping children and that kind of stuff either. Like if they exist, it would make sense that maybe once or twice that sort of thing happens. I just don't go in for like, yeah, that that's what they're all doing. Thousands of them, yeah, you know, just snatching children out of beds. What What do you think about that whole missing four one one thing? Wow, you're wow. Um, I'll tell you what, people. The only thing people are more defensive of right now than 
Sasquatch Chronicles is missing 411. So I, I just had a talk with Brandon uh, Dalo, who did the music for Minerva Monster today, because he's, he's really into, like, SC and missing 411. He asked me what I thought of it. Um, to be open with you and honest and all that stuff, um, I, I was really into it way back um, when I was first, when Pilates first started doing, like, the interview circuit and everything. And I have to say the guy comes across as incredibly intelligent. I think he's doing, like, super thorough work. I am just very confused by the, uh, I guess I'm confused by the, the Bigfoot angle. Like, is he saying Bigfoot's involved? Is he not saying Bigfoot's involved? Like, just come down on a side here, because I get I get that he's claiming that he's just going where the evidence is leading, but at some point... You know, when when Bigfoot is plastered all over your website that is selling missing four one one books, yeah, it's it's a little misleading. Um, um and I I remember hearing you talk about that. And then, um, did you see Mysteries of the National Parks that the Travel yeah. Channel rolled out? Yeah. And did you see that one that he was in? Yeah. Um, and then in that one, there's that story of the kid where the person asked him to take a dookie on a piece of paper or something you mm-hmm. remember that yeah yeah we've all done that right yeah obviously <laughs> um I'll say this though uh polites is a very shrewd businessman guy knows what he's doing the missing 411 documentary is going to raise a hundred thousand it might have already gone over yeah I'm not I, even I, sure. I bet it's close it's it last time i checked it was almost there i mean more power to the guy if I, I there are people who would smack me in the head for saying that, but um, you know the guy has a market and he he knew who to pull in to kind of get their name behind that thing, and I guess he's doing what he loves. So yeah, have have fun. I guess um, I guess I'm really if the if the actual numbers are true that there really are that many people that are missing from that go missing in national parks and that. There aren't lists kept and, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's amazing, especially since, you know, my roommate was in Yosemite last week and sure, sure. See, like that kind of stuff I'm totally fine with. And, and honestly, even in Cuyahoga Valley, we have people die every year. It's, it's insane. We just had a guy, I don't know if he went missing or if they actually found the body, but there was a guy that went missing on a bridal trail that I hike regularly. Um, it's not ter- a terribly isolated section of the park, and he just died like two weeks ago, and I still don't think they've announced the cause of death. Um, now, I have theories on, on why he died, because I've seen things back in the woods there that I'm pretty sure indicate drug uh, drug grows. <laughs> um and there was a lady that went dead in the park last year around the same time who they found floating in the river that they claimed had hung herself from a bridge, which made no sense. Um, and both of those things, I know both of these cases would line up with some of the missing 411 stuff. So I do find that, that side of the whole thing very, uh, very fascinating. And something that bothers me, and, and this has nothing to do with Polites or anyone that's actually making the movie or writing the books. Something that bothers me is that your, your Bigfooters love this stuff. Like they eat it up like it is just 
a blast. And these are people's lives, like legitimate people that have gone missing and their families and their, their lives were ruined because of this. And a lot of people get a real kick out of it. Like, oh, man, you know. Yeah. Joe yeah. Blow went missing in the National Park. Let's go check it out. Yeah. Um, there is definitely a uh, there's a disconnect there where where it goes past, you know, it's entertainment when we're talking about, you know, especially look, I have a three year old, you know, and yeah. I'm not going to lie to you. We uh we frequent Colorado quite a bit and we were at Pike's Peak um, just right after the Super Bowl. Up there, the lake's frozen. That was the first time that I ever saw the, uh, there's the actual like Bigfoot warning sign there that I'm sure you've seen posted around places. And it's like just due to the high number of sightings, we're just putting this up here to tell you. But the idea that, you know, I'd turn around and she not be there anymore Mm -hmm. uh, gives me a kind of pang in the bottom of my stomach that I'm not comfortable with. Right. But then the idea that she would be missing and that it would be a circus sure. drives me crazy to think about. But at the same time, if my daughter went missing in a national forest and the national park was just like, meh, that would, you know, that would drive me insane, too. So, like, if right. I had a kid that went missing in one of these parks and all these weird things started happening, um, like I heard him on the Mysterious Universe podcast the other day. And uh, he was talking about it. it. It was one of the people that's in the uh, trailer for the for the movie. I- I'm assuming because he's saying this, that this dad is OK with it. But it's like, you know, they went back and the boys clothes were found and they were, you know, did not look like they had been there for four years. And they were really not that far off the trail. And like, what the hell is that all about? Right. It's a. Uh, what, what bothers me is seeing every single missing person story now shared on Facebook Bigfoot group. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is what... It's like, do you people have any concept of what goes on in national parks? Like, there are massive expanses of very isolated land, typically. Like, it makes sense that people go missing in national parks. Yeah. Every, every time someone goes missing in a national park, we don't need to share the story in a Facebook uh, Bigfoot group. Yeah, with like a wink-wink. Look, right. somebody got got... Look, uh, you know, the Patty got another one. Yeah, that's that's not cool. Let's just close this down real quick with one other thing. Okay. Um, t- talk to me a little bit about um, the community. We talked, we touched on that earlier, and it's funny because uh, Shannon Legro mentioned community my ass today, and me in an email to me in an email when I used that word mm-hmm. uh, for good reason. Um, <laughs> she hasn't exactly received the best of treatment recently from some of the trolls in the community. Right. What was the, uh, was the backlash to your podcast and its recent success recently? Because you said that you didn't, that you were kind of skeptical. Is that why you received such hate? No, there's been a couple different things. Um, most of it, honestly, most of it's probably down to just trolls. Uh, but there's been a couple different things. One of them is, yeah, my skepticism apparently really bothers some people, um, which I find odd. Like, I have to believe to be intrigued or interested in a subject. Like, I have to be a believer. That doesn't make sense. Like, I, if I'm going to become a believer, it would have to happen, you know, at a natural progression. I can't just... 
you know, one day I'm like, okay, I'm going to accept that every single piece of Bigfoot evidence out there means that there's a Bigfoot. Um, I've never seen anything, so I have no basis for claiming, you know, that I'm a, I'm a, I, I know for a fact this creature exists. It's just not going to happen. Not, that's not the way I'm hardwired. Um, there has been a backlash from that. There's been a backlash because of some of the topics we've talked about on Sasswat bothering certain subsets of the Bigfoot community. Oh my God. Uh, mostly revolving around other podcasts. If you get my drift. Oh, okay. Um, Kind of that kind of thing. Uh, it's it's weird because like Sasolet has been from the very beginning, it's been very open. Like Mark and I will just talk. Like we are, it's a very quick show at a half hour typically. But like it's it's us just being frank and open with each other about our thoughts on stuff. And the problem is that I'm getting so much negative feedback on some of this stuff that I'm starting to kind of monitor what I say. Uh, see, you can't do that because what makes it good is that you're not monitoring it, and it's funny. Right. Well, no, I don't think we're there yet, and I don't think it's that, like, on the show, I'm not going to say things uh, that I that I think. It's more like sticking away or staying away from specific topics, I think we're going to. But, um, yeah, it's the negative feedback's mostly been from, from extreme trolls, and then we've gotten, you know, we've had people on YouTube say they're going to feed us to bears, and we have the worst show they've ever heard. Some guy posted on our Facebook page the other day that... <laughs> It literally went on our Facebook page. We can see his name, his face, everything, and said some comment about how we suck and should shut it down. I'm just like, who who does this? Because like I listened to tons of podcasts. There's podcasts I've listened to and didn't like, and I was like, there there's no way I'm taking five minutes out of my day or two minutes out of my day to go on their Facebook page and tell them I don't like them. Yeah. Why? So, I don't know why people need to be trolls, but... You know, when you start hearing that people are calling people at all hours of the night demanding, you know, personal information and stuff. And we had a conversation where we were like, do we even really want to do this? Do we? Do we I will tell you, I will tell you, if you go on Facebook, make sure you keep your phone number off there because mine was listed apparently on my Facebook page. And I, I have gotten phone calls from people. They weren't. They weren't negative phone calls, really, but they were calling just to tell me about like Bigfoot stuff. <laughs> And I'm not, my Facebook page was originally just my Facebook page, you know, like 120 friends and it's all like really close friends and family. And now I'm, I'm still, you know, it's nowhere near what some of these people are, but it's mostly Bigfoot people. So, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with it and I don't have a problem talking Bigfoot with people either. It's just some people will have no problem invading your privacy. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm I'm a really big fan. I'm really uh, excited for you for the uh, success of Minerva, and you know by success, even if you don't see it as monetary gain at the moment, for you to be uh, you know to go from having the idea of a book to rolling that into hey let's put a documentary together to sure. hey now sure. let's let's keep it going and I mean now you've got small town incorporated you know mm-hmm. and i think that's i think that's awesome yeah, and uh man. high five 
to you for that. And I'm excited to see what you guys are going to do with your podcast because it's it's cool that you're actually out there. And you kind of remind me of, of Mark and I, so it's good that we've got a couple other dudes that aren't taking themselves insanely seriously out there. Most definitely. Cool, man. I appreciate it. Tell the wife I said thanks for the time as well. <laughs> yeah, I will. Sasquatch, come on down. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdrafts up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.